If you have your Bibles, would you turn to uh, John chapter 19? John chapter 19, and I'd like to read 28 through 30. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it on a hyssop, upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. Lord willing, what I'd like to do is I want to talk about that phrase, it is finished. What exactly was finished? I know it's a message you've probably heard several times, but I'm going to do my best to make it as simple as possible. You know, it's interesting as you go in the Bible, there's a lot of words, and some words are more complicated than others. I'll give you an example, like the word justification. Did you know Paul took four chapters in Romans 2, 3, 4, and 5 to describe that concept of justification? When you look at something like justification, you find out that there's justification by blood, there's justification by faith, and there's justification by works. It's a complicated subject. And when you're sharing it with your children, and you're sharing it with a neighbor, or you're sharing it with someone that doesn't know Christ very well, or just learning Christ for the first time, I probably wouldn't use that word first. Okay? But God also has a a lot of words that are much more direct, much more simpler in concept. And I want to talk about those words today. Okay? So I went and I looked up that phrase, it is finished. And the word finished is a word that has multiple meanings. Okay? Like, like let's, for instance, let's pretend I was to use a word like uh, bank, right? Bank has a lot of meanings. You could say, okay, well, I think of a bank. It's an institution where I put my f- money. That's, that's one way. Uh, I can think of bank, and you can say, well, it's the side of a river, right? Or you could say bank, and that's what I do when I have to go around the eight ball to hit a nine ball and pool, and I hit a bank shot, you know, that kind of thing, right? So the word bank has a lot of different meanings. I could go to a phrase like cut off. That has a lot of meanings, too. I say, girls, cut off the radio, yes, or turn it down, or cut off the lights, yes? Or I can be driving down the road and someone could jerk their steering wheel right in front of me and they can cut me off, right? Or I can find a cutoff, which we usually use as like a shortcut, yes? Well, the word finish has three particular uses that was used back in the time of Christ, and they had three meanings too. And the first meaning was to say finish was to say The job is complete. Now let's pretend um, James is the Lord and I'm his servant. And James is my my master or my boss or my employer would come to me. He says, Dolph, I want you to go plow the back 40. And I got up early in the morning and I went and I plowed the back 40 and I show up right at dusk. And I go, Brother James, the back 40 has been plowed. I would say finished. That means job complete. Okay. Another way the word finished was used is back then they had something called debtor's prison. Yeah, debtor's prison. You know what debtor prison was? Is let's for, you, didn't, you didn't file chapter 11 in the time of Christ. If you couldn't pay your bills, they actually threw you in jail and they put your bill up above your cell and you were there until a neighbor came and paid that off. I find it pretty hard to pay off a bill when you're sitting in jail. 
Amen? As a matter of fact, it's impossible. You are totally reliant on family or friends to bail you out. And what would happen is, is let's suppose I was that person and I was in jail and I had a debt of $10,000 and I couldn't pay it and they threw me in jail. I'm sitting there and Brother James comes. I'm sorry, Brother James, you're sitting in the front row. That's why I'm picking on you, okay? I know I need to start picking on people in the back row so they'll sit in the front row. But, 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 but anyway, James, I've already used you, so I'm not going to offend anybody else today. I'll just keep going with you, okay? But, but let's suppose James comes along and, and he pays that bill. What they would write is finished. In other words, that debt has been eradicated or dismissed, okay? So that's another way that the word was used there, to discharge a debt. And the last way it was used is really interesting. You know, have you ever read a novel and you turned all the way to the back and on the very last page, there's two words. And it says, the end. Did you know that word, finished, was used to put at the end of a novel to say the story is over? Okay? So here's Jesus on the cross, and he's the servant. He's God's servant. God sent him to go make an offering for sin. And he utters the phrase, it is finished. You know what? He's saying all three things. He's saying, the job you gave me to do, Father, it's done. The debt that needed to be paid, it's been paid in full. And the story that has to be told is done. There's no more appendixes. It's done. Isn't that cool? He did all three things with that one phrase. So what I would like to do is I want to go to the Bible and look at words that described a finished work that describe a payment that's made and describe the end of the story. And I want to use little words. I don't want to use this, the sanctification. Again, sanctification is a beautiful word. The problem is sanctification is used in a host of ways. I can do it and I can sanctify. See, God the Father sanctified me in... Um, Jude 1, where he set me apart. And the Holy Ghost sets me apart when he regenerates me. And Jesus Christ sets me apart when he died for me, Hebrews 10.10. But you know, I can sanctify myself when I don't fornicate. And I can sanctify my speech, set it apart when I don't swear. So there's earthly and eternal applications. There's different persons of the Trinity. It is a complicated word. So when I'm describing what Jesus accomplished and I'm talking to a babe in Christ or one of my children or one of my grandchildren, I don't use that word first. I, I, I wait till they're under sound teaching for a long time before I dive into those words. But what I do is I can use words that I know my children and my grandchildren can relate to. Why? Because God used those words. Amen? All right. So that's what we're going to do. I got... Nine verses I want to look at today. Three to show a job complete, three to th- show a payment in full, and three to show the end of the story. Okay, So let's go to our first reference. The job is fully complete. I want to give you three verses. The first one I want to go to is in Hebrews 1.3. Okay? I want to use a simple little word called purged. Purged. And I'm going to try to give an application for everyone, old and young and business and non-business and blue collar and white collar and male and female. I I want to give an example for everybody that you can understand what exactly Jesus finished. In Hebrews 1.3, 
It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. Jesus Christ on the cross purged your sins. Let's talk about that word purged for a second, okay? In, 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 in modern culture, the, the, the way I think of the word purge, I think of computers, okay? I don't know if you've ever had a laptop or a personal computer where a virus got into it. Has, has that anybody happened to anybody? Yeah, okay. What, what you do, and, and I'm not smart enough to get the virus out of it, so I either have to go to someone that is smart enough, or if I'm at work, I take it to an uh, IT person, you know, a, you know, a technological person, and I give it to him, and I says, here's my laptop, and there's a virus on it. And he'll get it, and he'll clean it up, and then he'll give it to back to me, and he'll say, your computer has been purged. What does that mean? Does that, does that, when he says, my computer is purged, does that mean there's anything more for me to do? The answer is no. That means the virus is gone, Right? Did, did, did the IT guy ask permission of the computer to purge the sin? No, the computer was completely passive. The operator did all the purging, right? There, there's, there's nothing more. So what happened is Jesus Christ was sent to the cross. And when he said, it is finished, what he is saying, he says, your sins have been purged. Does that mean anything else needs to be done? And the answer is no. It's done. Does that mean you need to receive them? The answer is no. Jesus was active and you were passive. He didn't present you with a purging. He didn't say, okay, everything's all ready to go. All you have to do is hit this return button and you're ready to go. No, he says the computer is purged. He said your sins are purged. God used a whole bunch of words like that that are very narrow in scope talking about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And one of the things he accomplished on the cross was your sins are purged in a legal sense. And I love this verse for one other reason. There's a little bitty phrase right before he purged your sins. Those are those two words. And he said, by himself. He didn't purge your sins with a preacher. He didn't even purge your sins with you. He purged the sins all by himself. You got to be careful. A lot of Bible versions take those two words out of them by himself. But it's in your Bible. Today, I just want to convince you that Jesus accomplished something more than you'll ever imagine. More than you'll ever appreciate. Amen? I want to show you how secure it is when he said it, it is finished. He didn't start the process. He didn't complete his portion of the process. He didn't leave something undone. When he says it's finished, he was saying the job is fully complete. Let's go look at a second one. The second one I'd like to look at is in Hebrews 9.26. I told you as I was looking for these Bible verses, I was trying to get one for everybody. And I got a couple grandsons back there, a couple rows back, a four and a six-year-old. This one's for them, okay? And maybe if they get it, maybe some of us old folks will get it too. 
Hebrews 9.26, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now, once in the end of the world, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He put away sin. Okay, I want to give you a, a natural example. It's the one I've worn out with this verse, and then I want to give you a Bible example. In a natural example, and I tell my four-year-old, and I think I shared this the last time he spent the night. I went to my four-year-old. I said, Ezekiel, put away your toys. Put away your markers. Well, that meant that all the markers made it all the way into the toy box, and the toy box made it into the closet. It didn't mean half the markers did. It didn't mean they got in the box, but they didn't get put in the tie cloth. So my grandson comes back, and he says, the markers are put away. Did he ask permission of the toys or the markers to get put away? Again, the answer is no. It was an active administrator and a passive subject. Well, that's what God did to your sin. He put them away. You know, when I think of this phrase, put away, I go to the Old Testament, and this is actually Joseph and Mary. Do you remember when Joseph and Mary were engaged? Mary was his fiance, And lo and behold, she turns up pregnant. And he goes, this can't be. And he's going to break the engagement. This is Joseph. I've got to break the engagement. He wasn't deciding whether he should divorce her or not. You know what he was trying to decide? How to divorce her. Should I do it publicly and have her stoned, or should I do it privately and go to her father and say, she's yours, I don't want her anymore. That's what he was debating about. Now, he didn't do it. The reason why he didn't put her away is because God came to him night and says, no, she did not fornicate. That's my baby. That's my son. That's the son of glory. You marry her. You raise him up a good boy, and you can have some children after that. But let's pretend he would have put her away. Okay, let's pretend there's an Old Testament case where someone did break the vow of chastity and, and broke the engagement and, and, and was unfaithful. And he said, I'm putting you away. Did the fiancé have any input into the putting away? The answer is no. Well, I accept this putting away. Why well, reject this putting away? It's out of her hands in that case. It would have been out of Mary's hands. Do you notice... Is it, God's trying to tell something. All these verbs he's using is describing an active administrator and a passive subject. And you know what? We're the passive subject. Yeah, that's not fair. I don't know about you, but I think that's cool. I can't mess it up. Right? Okay, so there we are. So let's read this again. Jesus Christ is the servant. He come, he's the grandson. He, 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 he's, he's the person, and he goes to God, and he's been given the task, put the sins away, and he comes back and he says, Father, I put all their sins away. Who sins away? All God's children. He put them away. You mean, you, no, no, no. You, you mean he just held out the box and says, here, this is all you have to do is to put your sins in this box, and then I'll take care. No. He says, I put them away. They're gone. <sighs> Isn't that relief? Okay, number three. Revelations 1.5. This is actually my favorite one. Remember I told you I was going to do male, female, old, young. This is for moms. Okay? It's the word washed. And from Jesus Christ, who is faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Washed. 
Y'all, you got to try real hard to misunderstand washed. Amen? Back in the Old Testament, before a, a sacrifice was made, especially a, a, on a feast day like a Passover or an atonement day, what happened is, is the priests had to wash themselves and they had to wash their garments before they would enter into the holiest of holies and, and, and make us, you know, go in and, and, and sacrifice and do all that kind of stuff. So what happened was, look, look, this is just, just my speculation, this is just a, a scenario, okay? Let's suppose there's, a, there's a, a temple servant and the servant's given the command, okay, I want you to wash those garments, because old brother Aaron's going to have to make a Passover sacrifice and he needs that. And, and, and the servant goes and he washes them and he scrubs them real hard and puts the soap on them and, and rinses them off and, and dries them up and, 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 and presses them and folds them all up and puts them in the drawer. And he goes to Aaron and he says, Aaron, your garments have been washed. It, 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 it's not like with a grandchild where you say, here, I've drawn a nice bath for you and the soap is here and the cloth is here and the towel's here and the shampoo's here and the scrub brush is here and here's a night, please go step into this bathtub and take your bath. No, that's not what happened. He's saying, the garments are washed. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is doing. He's saying, every child of God is washed. It was an off, not an offering, it was a completed task. And he says, the job is done. I'm doing yard work. We, get sweat. we finally got warm weather. Seems like we've had winter since May, all through May. We finally had warm weather. Now I, I get grass clippings on me, and there's sweat on me, and, and it's dirty. When I'm done, the stuff goes in the dirty clothes bin. And my wife takes them and she'll throw them in the washing machine and the soap will go in there. And after they go through all the cycles and the rinse and the, the scrubbing and the suds, they get thrown in the dryer. After they go in the dryer, she takes them out of the dryer, she folds them. You know, those old work clothes, she doesn't press them, but she folds them all up. And, she's, and she tells me, she says, your clothes are washed and ready to go for the next time. The clothes were completely passive in the washing. Amen? Amen. They didn't accept it. They said, no, 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 I reject that washing. Give me the dirt back. <laughs> Sorry, the dirt's in the septic field on our front lawn. It doesn't happen that way. You're washed. Well, that's the way it is for you and your sins. You are washed. So when Jesus Christ says it is finished, he's saying the job is complete. I did it all. There's no more processes. There's no more steps for you to continue. It's not an offering. It's a done deal. Your sins are purged. Your sins are put away. Your sins are washed. You are washed. You are clean before God on the great white throne. Man, if that doesn't sound like a hallelujah, I don't know what does. Okay? Okay, so that's one set of verses or verbs I want to try to share with you that describe the finished work of Jesus Christ, the job complete. I want to step aside now. And I want to go to the second definition of finished, and that's to dismiss a debt. There are plenty of Bible verses for that one, too. Okay? The first one I want to go to is in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. I want to look at the word purchase. The word purchase. Okay? Again, I would like to give you a real-life example, and then I want to give you a Bible example, and then apply it to Jesus Christ. You 
are, he purchased you. He purchased you. He, he paid money for you. He's got a receipt. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. <clears throat> he didn't write a check. He didn't use a credit card. He didn't even give gold. You know what he gave? He gave his own blood. Something more precious than precious stones and things like that. He gave his blood. And with that, he purchased you. When you go to the store and purchase a loaf of bread, do you say, loaf, do you want me to purchase you or not? When you got home and you're carrying the bread home, do you say, the bread go, no, I don't want to be home, go home with you. Bring me back. No, doesn't that sound silly? But that's what he did with you. He purchased you. It wasn't an offering. It was a done deal. You were quiet. Well, when I go to purchase, I go to a Bible example. And you know, I think of, I think of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth and Boaz. Do you remember what happened with Ruth and Boaz? Ruth, father-in-law died. And then her husband died. And there was a plot of land that came through that family. And through that family, she as a woman could not purchase it. And along comes Boaz. And Boaz says... I want to purchase that land. And he says, you know what? The law said, Boaz, you can't purchase that land. I think you got a nearer kinsman. Maybe it was an older brother. He's got first dips on it. And Boaz says, okay. So he goes to his older brother. I'm assuming that's what the nearer kinsman was. It was an older brother. And he goes to the older brother and he says, you know, there's a piece of land and it's up for sale and I want to buy it. And if you've got first dibs on it, so if you're going to buy it, you buy it. But I want you to know, if you don't buy it, I'm going to buy it. I mean, that's just as transparent, as full of closure as you could possibly. And he says, oh, and by the way, if you buy that land, you get Ruth too. Right? Well, the older brother says, no, i got another deal going, and if I buy that land, I can't have this other land. I ruined my inheritance, so I'm not going to buy it. So Boaz goes and purchases the land. Again, I ask the same question I ask about the washing and the purging and the putting away of the, of the toys. Does the land say, buy me, buy me? Do you understand? Did Ruth say, buy me, buy me? She did. But what happens if the older brother said, I'm going to buy you? Guess what? She went to the older brother. She didn't have any say in the matter because she got bought. She got purchased. Amen? So when I look at Jesus Christ went to the cross and he's done on the end, at the end of the cross, and he says, God, Father, I purchased your children. Paid in full. Not a down payment. Paid in full. I bought them. And you think, wow. What did you pay? I paid my blood. More precious than money. I paid my, but I bought them. Finished. It is finished. The transaction is over. It's done. Okay? Let's go to the second one. I've used the word a couple times. You are also bought. Let me read this one. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, 
which ye have, are ye not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit and your God's. Again, I'm not going to go in a lot of detail because it's so similar to purchase. But, but, but why? Why? Why is God using all these simple words to describe what Jesus did on the cross? You know, sometimes we like to make things more complicated than they really are. I'll give a tip up. I'm going to pick up my grandkids again. Last night, it's about 8 o'clock, and Deborah says, the grandkids are coming over after church tomorrow. Guess what we did? We went to the grocery store, and we bought ice cream sandwiches. For you. Did the ice cream sandwiches say, I don't want to go home and get eaten by those little kids. No, they didn't say that. I mean, they might have, they could, but guess what? It didn't matter because I still bought them and they're in the freezer right now and they're going to plow into them, right? Praise the Lord. Amen? Okay. It sounds silly when we look at it like that, but Jesus purchased you. He bought you. He bought you. It was an arm length transaction. The deal's over. One more. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. The word ransom. Ransom. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, in today's modern culture, we use the word ransom usually when we think about like a kidnap victim, right? And you think of someone that was kidnapped and you say, okay, I will let this uh, daughter of yours go or you're the son of yours or this friend of yours or this employee of your company. I'll let you go if you pay a million dollars. That million dollars is called a ransom. Back in the Old Testament, there was also a situation that if you had a ox and it was kind of a wild ox and he would actually with his horn hurt somebody that there was some financial payment that was due, and that financial payment was called a ransom. It was called a ransom. And, and what happened is, is it was the first offense, you paid the fine. And it turns out, there's, this is kind of off the, top, off the comment, but if it hurt someone, and it, that same ox hurt someone else, and it you know, hurt someone, that second time, you were really in for it. But let's just deal with the first time, okay? So don't get confused with the someone that is injured with a known wild ox. This is the first time the ox hit someone that was a different set of rules. But there was a payment that was supposed to be made, and that payment was called a ransom. Again, I ask the question, does the ox have any say in the ransom? The answer is no, that's silly, isn't it? Does a kidnapped person have any say in the payment? The answer is no, that's pretty silly, right? You're totally at the disposal of somebody else. And Jesus Christ was your ransom. He was your payment for you to set you free. You think, wow, he did all that. Okay. All right, let's go to number three. Number three. Again, the the word finished had three applications. One is a job that's complete. The second one is a payment made in full. But the third one is the story's over. You got it? 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 It's kind of like... At the end of a novel, and you go to the very last page, and you see the end. Or if you see a great big painting, and the and, and the and the uh, the painter signs his name in the lower right hand corner, it's kind of like that's it, painting's done. Yes. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did. The first one I'd like to go to is in Isaiah fifty three and five. <clears throat> 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Okay, when I think of healing, I think of the Old Testament and I think of leprosy. Do you remember what happened when you had leprosy? You were quarantined. You had to live in a leper camp outside of town. You couldn't go to the synagogue. You couldn't go in your home. You couldn't sleep in the same bed as your your spouse. You couldn't hug your children. You you, you couldn't come to town. If you got caught in town, they'd go, leper, leper, get away, get away. And all of a sudden, here's a man or a woman that is healed of the leprosy, and they would have to go to the priest, and the priest would claim him clean. Think of a person that's cleansed of leprosy. And the leprosy is removed from them, whether it had been done by God, whether it had been done by just going away, or whether it had been by the miraculous hand of Jesus touching them, all of a sudden they are healed. And Jesus touched them. They are healed. That means the illness is gone. That means their life as a leper is done. They continue on their life as normal. They can go to synagogue. They can go to work. They can hug their family. They can kiss their children. They can eat at the same table. They have their social life. It, it's all over. Because they are healed. It's not like, well, you got this disease and you got to keep keeping this medicine to stay healed. No, that's not what it is. The disease is gone. And when Jesus died on the cross, when he suffered his wrath, it says the disease is gone in your bones. And you're asked, why do I still sin? That's next week to be continued. But I'm talking about an illegal sense before God on the great white throne. He is going to see you washed. He's going to see you healed. No disease in you. You're thinking, I don't feel like it. I'm getting old and my back hurts and my hairs are getting gray. I'm getting wrinkles. Guess what? You're healed. And Christ's finished work. Number two. Hebrews 10.14. This is one of my favorites too. I I think washed is my favorite. I think perfected is my second favorite one. For by one authoring he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, perfected means full, quip, perfect, you know, that, 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 that kind of thing. And, and, you know, me being an ex-math teacher, I always like to use the, 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 the example of a circle. If I were to get a compass out and draw a perfect circle on a wall or a, a, a dry board or a piece of paper, and we would agree that that thing is perfect, What happens the moment I do anything to that circle? I make it imperfect, don't I? Anything I do in addition to perfect, I make it imperfect. And what Jesus Christ did is he perfected you in front of God. So if there was any more steps, if there was anything else to be done, that would make a perfect work imperfect. Jesus Christ made me perfect. Okay, one more. Jude 1. Jude 1. Preserved. Preserved. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. I'm, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to the, to, to, the, to the moms and the farmers. I want to talk about putting up fruits or vegetables. 
Okay, think about what you do when you preserve fruits and vegetables. Well, normally what you do is you go pick them, and then you boil them. And the reason why you boil them is you get all the bacteria out of them, right? And then you put them in a mason jar, and you fill it all up, and then you put the lid on, and you close it really, really tight. And then you wait some time, and you wait for the, the top. Remember the top pops? That means there's a good seal, right? So the food is on the inside. It's vacuum-packed. It's sealed. It's precious. The bacteria has been killed. And you know what? That's what God did to you in front of Jesus. So Jesus is the one, and he went to the garden, and he got his beans or his strawberries or whatever he did, and he put up his preserves or tomatoes, and, and, and they're preserved. And he, he, he processed them, and he boiled them, and he vacuum-packed them, and he sealed them, and they're good. And they're on the jar until God's going to go get them. And Jesus goes to the Father. They're preserved. They're ready for you. There's nothing more. You don't need to crack open that seal and put some more spices in it. No, they're preserved. They're done. That's you. You're preserved. He preserved you with his finished work. You know, there's a couple other things the Bible says were preserved. Um, in... First Chronicles 18.6, it says the words of the Lord, I'm sorry, he says the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. You know, David had a ministry where he went and there was a time where he was going in and out among enemies and God vacuum packed him and protected him as he went among his enemies. And then also in Psalm 12, 6 and 7, it also says that he preserved his word. I think that's a promise we don't take as seriously as we had. You know what he did? God took his word and he boiled it and he got all the bacteria out of it. And he put it in a mason jar and he sealed it and he vacuum packed it and it's in there. And when we go to it, it's preserved for us. Do you believe that? I do. I thank you for that. But more so than David among soldiers, more so than his word among corruptors, he preserved you. From your own sin, he preserved you from the devil. He preserved you from the word, world, rather, world. Sorry. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay. Let me go to one more re- reference. Okay. Ephesians one. This will be my last text. Ephesians one. <clears throat> I want you to really spend some time meditating over this particular verse. Look at all the things God did for you and notice that they're past tense, right? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. I want you to notice something. He chose you, you didn't choose him, right? I want you to know that he purged you, he washed you, you're without blame. I want you to know you are now accepted in the beloved. Why are you accepted? Because Jesus took all your penalty 
and you made the payment. You have redemption through his blood. You're not getting it. You don't have another payment to do it. You have redemption. And the last thing is, is y'all are forgiven. Yeah, all are forgiven eternally. Praise the Lord. But I want you to notice another word that shows up three times. It's a word that you probably read over all the time. That's the word according. Do you see that according? It shows up three times. Note all those verbs we just read that you are forgiven and redeemed and without blame. Who did it? It's according to God who chose. It's according to his good pleasure and his will. And it's according to his blood and his grace. Y'all, try to squeeze yourself in there somewhere. How do you do it? You can't. You can't. We try with the five-syllable words. You know what? Because we just don't want to let go. We just don't want to trust Christ. But if you can ever get to the point when you realize that you're washed and you're bought and you're purged and your sins are put away and he bought you and he purchased you, there's peace there, y'all. And that was my goal, is to give you comfort and peace today. So praise the Lord. Now, I hope you go away happy. It doesn't mean we just sit in our chairs and rest and wait for him to come back. We've got a work to do. We'll talk about that, what it's for. It's not to accomplish anything Jesus already did. It's to say thank you for what Jesus already did. And we'll talk about those things, Lord willing, next Sunday. God bless you. Thank you.